Um, I'm really excited to be here tonight uh, and to open our new series called Turn Off the Dark. Uh, for those of you, if we haven't met before, my name's Zach, and I'm on staff at Riverwood, and I'm also on the Ascent lead team. And uh, this series is going to be, we're going to be talking about mental illness, which is something that's very close to my heart, and I'm excited about it. Um, as well, yesterday was my 26th birthday. <laughs> I like to call it the most important day of the year. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a great time. Uh, and to sum up my age, I wrapped my party up, in, meaning I kicked everyone out at 10.30 so I could go home and read my new book. So, I'm not actually 26, I'm 62, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm just so excited to be here tonight. You know, this is, this is a topic that I talk about all the time. Uh, it's something I'm so passionate about. Um, before we dive into it, though, I want to kind of give two qualifying statements as we head into this. The first is that this is going to be scraping the surface of a very layered conversation and topic. No, by no means will this be comprehensive, um, and so I just want you to know that as we're going into it. The second is that I am not a mental health professional. I am just simply a person who has dealt with mental illness in my own life for the better part of a decade, and I hope that from my experience, I can encourage you and inform you on issues surrounding mental health. So those are my two qualifying statements. Uh, a little bit of my story, I first began, began to struggle with my mental health uh, about seven years ago, just over seven years ago, and at the time, I didn't really know what was going on, uh, and I met with a mentor of mine and sort of talked, and he encouraged me, and that was helpful, um, but I really didn't know what was going on, and I struggled kind of on my own and in silence for about a year, and then went to counseling. I kind of did counseling on and off for about uh, two years, and uh, it, it was helpful, but again, I, I didn't really know a whole lot of what was going on. And um, two, about two years after starting to go to, going to counseling in July, I was struggling, and I was at my lowest low, um, the worst spot that I've been in my life, and I, I started to worry about my own safety. Um, and so I met with a mentor of mine, and he told me to go to a doctor and to talk to them, and I did. Um, and that was about four years ago, and uh, I went, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and uh, was placed on medication for that, and I've been on that medication for four years while continuing to go to counseling, meet with mentors, be part of a community, lots of things that I've done to try and work on my mental health. And so let me say that when I talk about this, I do not talk about, talk about it lightly. And something that uh, a friend of mine spoke over my life a couple of years ago was uh, they said, Zach, you have experienced so much hardship in your life, and I believe that God wants to use your hardship to bring freedom and healing to other people's lives. That He wants to use my story to help other people. And so that's why I'm on this stage tonight. That's why I want to talk about this, because it is something that's so important to me, and I, and I know that it's so important to so many people. Now, before we dive in and look at Scripture, I want to give some context to uh, mental illness so that we can sort of all be on the same page and, while we talk about it. Uh, and so we can define mental illness as a behavioral or mental pattern that causes significant distress or impairment of personal functioning. Mental illnesses are usually defined by a combination of how a person behaves, feels, perceives, or thinks. And something that I think is important to note is that mental illness is just that. It is an illness. It is connected to our physical selves. It's something that happens within our brains. Um, and we don't have time to investigate this further, but the church has often been divided on this topic, and some have believed that mental illness is simply a spiritual 
failing, that you're not, you don't have enough faith, or you don't pray enough, or you don't love Jesus enough. And that is not the stance that we take at Riverwood or at the Ascent. We believe that it is a biological um, result of our fallen nature. And so that's sort of the approach that we're going to be taking uh, tonight. Kind of thinking, you know, like if you broke a bone, you would go to a doctor and you would get treatment for it. You wouldn't just sit at home and pray and wait until it went away. In the same way that if your mind is sick, that you go and seek out the expert help while also praying for healing along the way. I actually love how Pastor Stephen Altridge says this. He says, the Bible teaches that every human being is totally depraved. This doesn't mean that every person is as absolutely wicked and evil as they could possibly be. That would be utter depravity. Total depravity simply means that sin has affected every facet of my being, including both my soul and my body. Total depravity means that nothing works as God originally intended. My spiritual desires are affected and distorted by sin. My intellect is distorted by and affected by sin. And most importantly for this discussion, my body has been affected and distorted by sin. Until the day Jesus returns, I will live in a body that does not function as God originally intended. My brain, which is a key, central, integral part of my body, will not function correctly. Chemicals will become imbalanced. Serotonin will not be properly absorbed. Norepinephrine will be unevenly distributed. Synapsis won't fire correctly. My brain, just like every other part of my body, is prone to illness. Mental illness is just that. It's an illness like the common cold or the flu or some virus that affects us in varying severities and devastations. And so I want to examine some Canadian statistics about mental illness and uh, just give some context again to this topic. In any given year, one in five people in Canada will personally experience a mental health problem or illness. By age 40, about 50% of the population will have or have had a mental illness. Suicide accounts for 24% of all deaths among 15 to 24-year-olds and 16% among 25 to 44-year-olds. Almost one half, 49% of those who feel they have suffered from depression or anxiety have never gone to see a doctor about this problem. 90% of people who die by suicide have a diagnosable mental illness. The likelihood that people with mental illness will commit violent acts is no greater than the general population, but the likelihood that people with mental illness will be victims of crime is two and a half times that of the general population. 80% of people who are depressed and find treatment respond well to treatment, but 90% of people who are depressed never seek treatment. And so what these statistics illustrate to us is that there is a significant issue in Canadian society that most mental illnesses are treatable, that the consequences of not finding support are significant, that having a mental illness opens you up to being more vulnerable to violence, and that people do not seek out treatment. Mental illness does not discriminate either. It affects people from all levels of education, income, cultural backgrounds, and ages. And it is widespread and devastating, and we need to talk about it. The silence of the church cannot continue any longer on this topic. People are literally dying because of the silence on this issue. Not only is suicide the second leading cause of death for people ages 15 to 24, but also people who experience mental illness are four times more likely to die from a heart attack. Secular mental health experts 
say that factors that lower the levels of the stress hormone cortisol in humans are leisure time, positive family connections, social groups, and a sense of belonging. And the church is able to fulfill all of those. As well, Psychology Today says the amassed research indicates the higher levels of religious belief and practice correlate to a better mental health. The church actually has the answer to this problem. Secular research indicates that being planted in a local church gives you a better advantage for having good mental health than not being planted in a local church. Megan Wildhood says, I don't believe the biomedical model has sufficient evidence to be the ruling paradigm it is, nor do I believe it sufficiently explains the various people, the way, various ways people are in pain. While, while our culture is becoming more open to experiences of depression, anxiety, and even bipolar, it hasn't given us many ways to properly attend to the agony of mental illness other than diagnosing and labeling. Society itself is beginning to recognize that it does not have the answer to this problem. It can recognize the problem, it can recognize the causes for the problem, but beyond diagnosing and medication, it has no answer to this problem. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem with medication. I am on medication, I take a pill every single day to help me manage my mental illness. But if that's the only thing that we have available to people, I think we have a significant problem. And so with that context in mind, I wanna to turn to scripture and see what Jesus teaches us about how we can respond to illness and how we can apply that to mental illness. So we're gonna be reading a, a section of scripture from the book of John, which was uh, written by a man named John. He was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he, who wrote an account of Jesus' life. And at this time in this story, this account of Jesus' life. He is returning to Jerusalem after being gone for a couple of months. Before he left Jerusalem, he was ridiculed by religious leaders. He's come back to Jerusalem, and he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and that's where we pick, off, pick up our story. So starting in John chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the same man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Let's take a moment to pray before we dig into this. God, we cry out to you for healing for the people in this room and in this city who struggle with mental illness. And God, we know that your heart is for them. We thank you for the church, the community of faith that gives us a place where we can explore this topic and this issue, and also that we can receive healing from you. And so God, tonight we pray that you would just open our minds to how we can be of assistance to those struggling and how 
we as those struggling can find healing in you. And all of God's people said, amen. So I want to kind of split my message up here into two parts. The first part, we're going to talk about how we can come alongside those who are struggling. And then the second part, we will talk about if you're struggling, what I believe this passage teaches you about how you can find healing in Jesus. So the first uh, thing that I want to examine is the way that Jesus responds to those who are struggling. Specifically, he responds to this man who's blind. And the first way that he responds is he acknowledges the person. Jesus is walking along and he sees this man and doesn't just sort of pass over him. He stops and he acknowledges this man, recognizes his illness, and cares about him. This person's anguish is left to stand as it is without commentary or diagnosis or attempts to immediately explain it or fix it. He simply sees the man. And what Jesus is teaching us here is to see the people that are around us, to see the people that are struggling. The first step to helping and coming alongside people is to listen and know and understand the pain and the struggle that they're experiencing. It's not to fix it. It's not to come alongside and tell them what to do. It's simply to just sit with them and know and listen to their story. The second way that Jesus responds is he challenges the prejudice. In Jewish, in Jewish culture at this time, if someone was sick, if they had an illness, physical or otherwise, it was deemed a result of sin. The disciples ask, did this man sin or did his parents sin to cause him to be blind? But Jesus challenges this. He says, no, it's not a result of this person's sin or his parents' sin, but that Jesus actually sees potential in this man's illness. He says, this illness is going to demonstrate the glory of God. Jesus didn't cause our illness, but he wants to redeem it for his purpose. And so we need to fight for those who are struggling. We need to stand in the gap for those who are struggling. We need to challenge the prejudice and the stigma that exists in our world and say, that's not okay. There isn't shame in suffering. There isn't shame in illness. That actually Jesus wants to take your illness and transform it for his purpose. There's potential in your illness. We need to be the voice and the light that speaks into people's lives. We need to be the ones that are pulling them up when they're suffering. The third way Jesus responds is he uses what he has. Jesus sees a man who is blind. And he thinks, I want to help this man. And he simply uses what's available to him, his own spit and some dirt. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing special. He's not an optometrist. This isn't laser eye surgery. It's dirt and spit mixed together with some mud. And I think so often we disqualify ourselves from helping people because we feel like we're not experts. We don't have all the answers. We're not mental health professionals. We can't do anything. But you can if you think about what's in your hand and what's available to you. Do you have a car? Why don't you offer to drive someone to their first counseling appointment? Do you have a computer or a phone? Why don't you look up some resources that are available in your area and pass those on to your friend? Have you been reading scripture and come across something that's really encouraged you? Why not text that to that person? I think the beginning of coming alongside of people is simply using what is available to us to help them. 
And finally, Jesus points to resources. Jesus puts, puts the mud on this man's eyes, but then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam was a place where people believed healing happened. Um, and so Jesus says, go and wash in that pool. And I think for us, we can be roadmaps to recovery when we're pointing to the professional resources that are available. You know, think about where is there a counseling, uh, a counselor available in your area? How can you help that person get connected to that counselor? Maybe if you're in a discussion with your friend and you're worried about their safety because of their mental illness, call a crisis line and get that person connected to that crisis line. Connect them to that resource. Take them to a doctor's appointment if they want to explore medication as an option. So often what people need is a roadmap to find resources to help them. In my own journey, I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But people came alongside of me like that mentor who saw me at my lowest and said, you need to go talk to a doctor. And that's changed my life. It actually saved my life. As we journey with people through their mental illness, we have to do just that. We have to journey with them. We have to walk alongside of them. We have to step by step go with them through the whole process. And all the while, remind them that we're there for them, that God loves them, and also take care of our own selves so that we can journey with them. A really important thing, I think, is to make sure that you do not become someone's savior. You're not their savior, Jesus is. So help diversify their support. Encourage them to reach out to their friends, their family members, mentors in their lives, and broaden their, their support system. The way I, I often say it is diversify their, their support system. Make sure that you are not the only person walking this road with them. Now, I want to direct the rest of this message to those of you in this room that are struggling. And the first thing I want to say, and I want you to hear this, is Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. Jesus is walking along this road and he sees a man who is blind. And he doesn't just pass on, he actually sees him. The Greek word, that, which is the original language this would have been written in, for sees, can also be translated as perceives or knows. See, Jesus doesn't just see your suffering, he actually perceives how it is affecting you and knows deeply your suffering. He recognizes what you're going through, and it breaks his heart. It's actually devastating to him that you are suffering. You are not overlooked by God. He wants to do incredible things in you. He sees not only your suffering, but the potential within you. He says about this man, it is not his sin or his parents' sin, but that actually his illness is what's going to bring glory to God. There is endless potential within you, and Jesus sees it. Please catch the revelation of this, because the journey to healing is built on this foundation, that Jesus loves you, that he's devastated by your suffering, and that he wants to restore you to wholeness. He is willing to pause along the way simply to meet you and to walk with you. 
over seven years ago, when I first started this journey, this was the first thing that I had to learn, that God loves me, that he actually wants to see my life restored. He wants to see healing happen. And along the journey, I need to constantly remind myself of that truth. The love of Jesus is the fuel that will keep the fire of your soul going even on the darkest nights of your journey to healing. I'm going to say that again. The love of Jesus is the fuel that will keep the fire of your soul burning even on the darkest night of your journey to healing. Second, your illness is not your identity. Your illness is not your identity. You may be struggling with depression or anxiety or bipolar or anorexia or borderline personality disorder, whatever it may be. This man was blind, but he was so much more than that. He was a son. He was a brother. Maybe he was a father. There's so much more that he represented and so much more that you represent. And primary among them is that you are a child of God. You are a child of God. Your identity is not your illness. I'm going to read a bunch of stuff that This comes straight from scripture. Descriptors of you if you've chosen to be a follower of Jesus. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are the head and not the tail. You are chosen by God. You are being changed into his image. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are forgiven of all sins. You are victorious. You are set free. You are complete in him. Our world loves labels, but you don't need to carry any of those labels because you have an identity in your relationship with Jesus. You have an identity as a child of God. First and foremost, you are his son or daughter. And so my encouragement to you is to write down what it is that you are in Christ. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it next to your front door when you walk out so you see it when you walk out the door. Put it on the dash in your car. Put it on the desk at work. Make it the background on your phone. Put it in front of you and see it constantly. Continually remind yourself of who you really are. The third one, which I think is the most difficult one, you need to participate. You need to participate. You might feel overwhelmed, like you are carrying too much, that life is too hard, You might have dishes piled up in the sink. You might have two weeks worth of laundry or more. It might be hard to get out of bed every morning. But you need to participate in God's healing process. This man meets Jesus, and Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, but then Jesus says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. The man has to go and participate in God's healing process. Countless times throughout scripture, we see Jesus heal people, but they need to participate in it. They don't have to do it on their own, but they have to own the process. You need to figure out what it is that you need to lean into in order to make that possible. Lean into your community. Lean into the people in your life that love you. You need to be honest and understand that maybe you're an introvert, and you need to take a night out of every week to just chill and be on your own. You might be an extrovert and be like, I actually have to drag myself out to hang out with my friends because that's what energizes me. You might need 
to get out of bed and go for a run and release those endorphins. But you need to figure out the strategies and systems that are gonna help you along this process. Over the years, over the years I've had to learn so much. I've needed to learn that I'm an introvert and I do need that night alone. And I put it in my phone sometimes if it's busy, if it's like a busy season and lots is happening, I will put in my phone, time alone. And if someone asks me, hey, are you free? Nope, I've already got plans. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> Sometimes, when I first wake up, having a bunch of notifications on my phone stresses me out. It actually like causes anxiety in me. And so I've learned, I charge my phone across the room from my bed, so I don't see it when I first wake up. And I wait to look at it until I know that I'm ready to take that information in. I know that I need to eat well so that my brain functions well. And this is the one that I'm the worst at. I am known for ordering McDonald's on Skip the Dishes too much. <laughs> Except now I order on Uber Eats because it, the delivery charge is cheaper. <laughs> but I know that I need to eat well in order to function properly. And so I need to drag myself to the grocery store even when I desperately don't want to. I have an alarm on my phone that goes off at 10.30 every single night reminding me to take my medication because I know if I take my medication regularly and at the same time, it's gonna work best. And every time I go to a counseling session, I make my next appointment while I'm still there because then I know that there's always another one coming. You need to figure out what strategies or systems you need to build into your life in order to be healthy. And then my encouragement to you is this that it's a process. It is not all gonna happen overnight. Figuring out all of this for me has taken seven years. And that brings us to our next point. Healing takes time. Destiny did an incredible job talking about this in her story. Yeah, let's give it up for her, seriously. What she did by telling her story is one of the most brave and courageous things that a person can do. And, and acknowledging that healing takes time is hard because we want it to be instant. We live in an instant society where everything happens instantly. But healing takes time. Anything that's good takes time. The man himself, we might think it's instant, but if you really look at the story, it's not. He's sitting there. Who knows how long he's been sitting there? Then Jesus and his disciples walk by, and Jesus has a conversation with the disciples while he's sitting there. Think about how awkward that would be. You're sitting on the street. You're blind, so your hearing's really good. And these guys are like, was it his fault or his parents' fault? And you're like, I'm sitting here. Like, am I just chopped liver? Like, what the heck? He's sitting there. Jesus has a conversation with his, with his disciples, then talks to him smears mud on his eyes, then he has to go to the pool of Siloam. Who knows where that is? That could be on the other side of the city, and he's blind. Does he have to find a friend to help him get there? Then he has to get into the pool, then wash his eyes, and yes, he receives his sight, but the ramifications of his blindness would still affect his life after that. Because here's the thing, he's been blind his whole life. He can't read. He has probably no skills. He's a beggar. Right? His blindness, even though he was healed of the blindness, would still continue to affect his life even after that. Healing takes time. 
I've been on this journey towards healing for seven years. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it. And it's definitely gotten better, but it's taken years of hard work and grinding and learning and failing and trying again and getting back up. It has been countless conversations with counselors and mentors, hours of prayer and worship, years of medication, more hard decisions than I ever thought I would have to make, and fighting the stigma that permeates our society. And you know what? I stand here today and I can tell you, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. All of that is so worth receiving the freedom that God has for us. Time and time again, Jesus has shown up to restore me and encourage me. Sometimes it's a line in a song, a worship song. Sometimes just a regular song. Sometimes it's a verse on a page or a conversation with a friend or it's a sitting in a counseling session and having my mind blown again. And sometimes it's just a great day, like your birthday. <laughs> and as I look ahead at what God has in store for me, as cliche as it sounds, I know that the best is yet to come. And the same is true for you. The best in your life is still coming. There's so much freedom and healing in Jesus, and he sees you and he loves you so much. He's actually devastated by your suffering, and he wants to set you free from it. He wants to fight for you. He wants to take what was intended to chain you down and hold you back and set you free from it, and then he wants to use your story to set more people free. In fact, he's already set you free. A verse that's been a rock for me through this whole experience has been John 8:36, which says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. And you know what? There's been times where that has felt so fake. I remember sitting across from a mentor of mine crying, being like, It says I'm free, but I don't feel free. You know what he said to me? He said, Zach, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's fear. And so it's okay to question. It's okay to cry out to God and be like, what the heck? I'm, I'm drowning out here. Because then he'll say in a whisper, hey, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You have to keep speaking that truth to your heart. And so today, whether you feel totally whole or broken beyond repair, know that Jesus sees you. He loves you so deeply, more than you could ever know or comprehend, that he has so many amazing things in store for you. He wants to bring healing and restoration to your life the long and messy journey of recovery that you're going to walk through, he's going to be there every step of the way. Sometimes you're going to feel it, and sometimes you're not. But he's always going to be there. And don't do this thing alone. You need to surround yourself with a community that is going to push you forward into that healing and remind you that God loves you.
You need to surround yourself with good people who are going to help you step forward into the healing that God has in store for you. And right now, I want to help you take that first step. And it's going to require some bravery. And it's going to be hard. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you to stand if you've been struggling with your mental health and you need prayer. And as I say that, your heart might be racing. Your palms might be sweating. Mine are. And you might just feel so nervous. But this place, the ascent, this is a place of love, not judgment, not shame. So when you stand in this place, you have an army of people who are on your side we're going to boldly pray for your healing and your recovery. This is not a place of judgment. This is not a place of shame. This is a place of love. And if I wasn't already standing up on this stage, I would be standing down there with you. Because it's, I'm st I still struggle. And so I'm going to encourage you to stand if that's your story. One, Jesus loves you. Two, we love you. Three, stand. What you have just done is so brave. It's so courageous. And I honestly couldn't be more proud. And if you're sitting look at these people and acknowledge that what they have done is incredible. Can we give it up for these people who have said? And if you are struggling and you decided not to stand, there's no shame. It's okay. We're going to pray for you too. And so something that the church has done since it started is what's called the laying on of hands. And basically it's just a way that we are all connecting and, and showing God that we're praying for an individual. And so if you're sitting, I want you to look around and find someone that's standing and just lay hands on them as long as they're okay with it. Don't just, you know, don't just go touch random people who don't want it. But reach out and lay hands on those people We're going to pray right now with boldness for the healing of the people in this room. God, we thank you for the bravery and the courage that the people who stood in this room have demonstrated. And God, we pray for breakthrough in their life. We pray for healing in their life. Holy Spirit, we pray for a divine encounter for each of these people right now. God, we pray that chains would fall, that there would be healing in this place tonight. We pray that you would help them to find community and resources to help them on their journey to healing. We pray that you would surround them with community that would push them forward into what you have in store for them. We pray that you would remind them that they are head the head and not the tail, that they are a child of God. Jesus, we love you. We cry out to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, all God's people said, Amen.